So the Apostle Paul, is speaking here, and I feel like I almost have to whisper. <laughs> Felix, we understand, is someone who is well familiar with what's called the way. We understand, we've heard in, in previous messages, that the way is the uh, nomenclature, the title that they gave to Christians who were following Jesus. Jesus had made the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So the way was descriptive of those who were uh, Christ followers, if you will. And so here, after five days that Paul had been uh, arrested and in Caesarea, finally the entourage of the high priest, Ananias, and, and then we have uh, Tertullus coming with him, their attorney, and, and all of these Jewish uh, supporters of Ananias. Now we see where this audience, as Paul presents his case, at the end, Felix was well acquainted with the way he adjourned the proceedings, brushed them off. When Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. Well, Lysias the commander didn't come. He didn't have to come. He sent his opinion, if you'll remember, by way of a messenger, 470 soldiers escorted Paul from Jerusalem into Caesarea because they knew that there was a uh, move afoot to kill Paul. So as he says, I'll wait for Lysias, the commander. The commander has already uh, adjudicated Paul in his own estimations, though he doesn't have the authority to do that. But he said, in his opinion, Paul has done nothing wrong. So we're sending him to you anyway so that you can determine that as a, as a fair process goes. So look at the audience. Several days later, Felix came, but he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. That word for freedom literally means that he was free to roam around the palace, that he was under what we would consider house arrest. He was usually chained to a soldier so that he couldn't escape, but he had complete freedom as far as inviting his friends and family and well-wishers into, when it says take care of his needs, give him whatever supplies he needed, whatever food he needed, talk to him at any given time. And so he had a lot of freedom. Now, that lasted for two years. We'll talk about that next week. But it lasted for two years. And so in the meantime, Felix and his wife, Drusilla, wanted to have an audience with the Apostle Paul. You see, let me remind you, Felix had been governor of Judea for some five years, having succeeding, succeeded Pontius Pilate. He and his brother Pallas were slaves. If you'll remember... These brothers were slaves in the Roman emperor's household, and they were well-loved and well-respected to the extent that they were given their freedom by the Roman Caesar himself. And as they were given their freedom, they rose through the ranks, and Pallas especially had amassed quite a fortune, as did Felix, because of their relationship with the Caesar. And uh, this Felix was the first 
slave who had been freed to become governor of any region in Roman Empire history. Tacitus said of the ancient historian said of Felix, he exercised the prerogatives of a king with the spirit of a slave. Now you can imagine what that means. He was, he was brutal when he needed to be brutal. He was never afraid of using people to perform any kind of murderous acts to eliminate any of his, in, any of his enemies, any of his usurpers. Anybody that he felt would be a threat to his throne would be eliminated. Uh, Felix had, was married to three princesses. This is important for you to understand some of this background because of what Paul is going to say. He was married to three princesses. The second marriage was to the granddaughter of none other than Anthony and Cleopatra. So as we said last week, he did marry up. His third wife, Drusilla, had been the wife and had been married at the age of 16 to a lesser known king in a small region in Syria. And he, uh, as the stories go, he enlisted magicians to persuade her to leave her husband to become his third wife. He was very capable of hiring men to murder anyone who posed a threat to his power. And then his wife, Drusilla, won't get too much into this, but you just need to know what her bloodline is. She was the youngest of three daughters of Herod Agrippa I, uh, and I'd mentioned that she married a lesser king at the age of 16. Her father, Herod Agrippa I, murdered James, the brother of John, and imprisoned Peter with the understanding that he would execute him a few days later. Her brother was Herod Agrippa II. Her great-grandfather was Herod the Great. You'll remember him in all of our Christmas stories. He killed the... Uh, young boys in Bethlehem in an effort to eliminate Jesus. Her great uncle was Herod Antipas who killed John the Baptist and mocked Jesus. She had quite a bloodline, didn't she? And she was Jewish. Now the interesting thing that I think here is that the scripture says that Felix was well acquainted with the way. Why was he well acquainted? We don't really know, but we do know this that Drusilla had a lot of history, and I'm sure family gatherings discussing all of those who were involved or related to Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And I'm sure he had heard all about the movements of the Christian group within Judea as well as outside of Judea. And so he came, and I'm sure he came. He was prompted by Drusilla. And I think he was curious himself. Well, as we see what happens here, the testimony. Paul had, was given permission to respond to the charges, and he responded to Tertullus, the attorney. He responded to the Asian Jews. He responded to the Jewish council. And he summarizes it by saying, uh, I, these who are here should state what crime they found in me. When I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. And of course, as we have said, and that put the Sanhedrin at odds with one another. The high priest 
was a Sadducee who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees did believe in the resurrection of the dead. Paul was a Pharisee. So he was putting them at odds with one another. And Felix found no, no offense whatsoever that was worthy of his. But Felix was familiar with the way. Now there's going to be a lot of people in the world today that are familiar with the way. I've, we've mentioned before that Gallup in his survey said that faith in America is a mile wide and an inch deep. In other words, if you ask the typical person in America that is not an atheist, well, what are they? And they would say, well, I, I'm Christian. America has, has historically been seen as a Christian nation. And I suppose I identify more with Christianity or Christians than I do with anything else. So I'm familiar with it. Maybe your parents were Christian. Maybe your grandparents were Christian. Whatever the case might be, somebody that you know is a Christ follower. And so, because you identify with them, you identify, I guess, with the Christian religion. And so, you're, you're used to the way. This was the way Felix was. He knew a lot about the way, but he just didn't know the leader of the way. Some of you are in that same predicament. You know a lot about Christianity. You just don't know the Christ of Christianity. You don't know the man, Jesus. And so we see where uh, Paul was visited frequently by Felix and Drusilla. Why? Well, the scripture says that he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe so that he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Maybe that was an ulterior motive. But I can't help but believe that either he or his wife had some kind of a curiosity about Jesus. They had heard about it through their bloodline. Drusilla had heard about it all of her life. And from Herod the Great all the way down to the present time, she had heard about this Jesus. She had, perhaps they had witnessed the crucifixion, or at least heard eyewitnesses to it. So they wanted to know about Jesus. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're listening to this message, and you have just, if nothing else, a mere curiosity about who Jesus is. What is he all about? Who is he really? Is he really God's son? Is he really God incarnate? God becoming flesh and dwelling among us as is proclaimed during Christmas season and beyond? Who is he? Who is this Jesus? And maybe your curiosity has gotten you involved in at least some Christian Bible studies. Well... Here he is. He frequently visited Paul. But then I want you to see Paul's three-point sermon. Verse 25. Uh, he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. They didn't talk about baseball and football. They, they didn't talk about the weather. Didn't talk about fishing. Didn't talk about anything other than Jesus Christ. Paul talked about his faith in Christ Jesus. Because he never knew, is this the day that he's going to send out orders that I'm going to be executed? Is this the day that I'm, I'm going to be killed by Felix, this governor? Will somebody break through this palace and take me out and have me stoned? I don't know. But I also don't know if this is Felix's last days. You know, Roman politicians, 
didn't last a long time. They usually did something to upset the emperor or to upset somebody else in their way to their position, which was reported to the emperor, oftentimes erroneously, but nevertheless, they were eliminated. So he doesn't know. So Paul talks to them about Jesus. Who do you talk about? What do you talk about when you're talking to people? Those people who are curious and want to know more about the church, about your activity, your involvement. Why do you do what you do? One of the things I love about mission trips is we inevitably get questions about, from people that we are serving. Why would you spend your money to do this? Why would you take your time out of your busy schedule to come here and do this for us? I don't get it, they say. Well, let me tell you why. It's because of Jesus. He did it for me, and I could do no other. So, we have this situation where Paul speaks to him. And the Bible says that he listened as Paul spoke to him. Three things. Righteousness. We don't like to talk about righteousness. Dr. Carl Menninger, back in 1973, came out with a book called Whatever Became of Sin. We don't talk about sin anymore. Nobody's responsible or accountable for anything that they do, according to current sociology. It's not your fault. You were made to do it. Let me tell you something. Sin is sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in His sight. The best we can do is never going to be good enough. So Paul talked to him about righteousness. You would talk to the, the king, the governor of Judea about righteousness? Amen. Wow. Righteousness. It is God's expectations, His demands on us. Why are you here? Mark Twain said it this way, the two most important days in a person's life are the days that person was born and the day that they understand why? Righteousness. Righteousness is literally being rightly related to God. We're rightly related by, to God by faith in Jesus Christ. But righteousness means that I begin to understand why I'm here. God has created me in His own image. God has planted me here where I am and to serve Him. And to serve Him, I serve others. So I begin to understand that symbiotic relationship between me and the Father through the Holy Spirit that I am here to serve, to serve Him, to serve others. My righteousness comes by being rightly related to Him. So I'm no longer in this righteousness self-centered, self-absorbed, self-concerned. It's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's not about my, my comfort, my likes, my like, dislikes. It's all about God and what He wants to perform in and through me. That's what righteousness ultimately is all about. Amen. Why are you here? Ask yourself that question. Why are you here? What do you think Paul talked to Felix about? Why are you here, Felix? You know, you were created by God. You were placed on this earth. You were put in this position by God. Why? To serve yourself? To serve your own personal interest? 
to amass amount of fortune at the expense of others? Why were you here, Felix? Righteousness. Wow. And then he talked to him about self-control. You're talking to Felix and Drusilla about self-control? And that's a great guy. I'm telling you, Paul has uh, pulled no punches here. He is absolutely on a roll. Self-control. There's only two times this is mentioned in the New Testament. Here and in Galatians 5, 23, when you talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Self-control is that last fruit mentioned. Self-control. Felix, you need to have a little more self-control. I can just imagine. Self-control. You need to control your emotions. You need to control your passions. You need to control your people. You need to control Felix, ultimately. <coughs> Nobody likes self-control. Nobody likes people telling them to be controlled. Then there's that judgment to come. This is a time when every life will be examined in its entirety by God. The idea that there is a judge over Felix, the Bible says, made him tremble. Made him tremble. Why would Paul be this bold? Spurgeon mentioned it about Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was an English reformer who often preached before King Henry VIII. On one occasion, Latimer said something in a sermon that offended the king. And he was commanded to preach the following Sunday and make an apology. <laughs> the next Sunday, after reading his text, Latimer began his message this way. I am going to speak with myself at the beginning of this message. Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore take heed, Hugh Latimer, that thou speakest not a word that may displease. But then consider well this, Hugh, dost thou not know from whence thou comest, upon whose message thou art sent? Even by the great and mighty God, who is all present, and who beholds all thy ways and is able to cast thy soul into hell. Therefore take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. Latimer then proceeded to preach the same type of message he had preached the week before with even more energy. Paul would be the same way. One day I'm not going to have to face Felix as the ultimate judge of all judges. I will be standing before God who is the judge, as is everyone who has ever lived on the face of this earth. We will give an account. The Bible says that it is appointed once for men to die, and after this comes the judgment. Well, the Bible says when Felix heard about the judgment, he was afraid, he trembled. The only other time that that has been mentioned is when it was referring to Philippian jailer. Remember when the angel came in and flung the doors open and, and Peter, uh, Paul and Silas were there in the prison. The jailer was afraid because he knew his life would be required of him if any prisoners escaped. 
He trembled. And then what did Felix do? At the same time, he says, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send it for you. When is he ever going to find convenient? Two years he had to be in the audience of Paul the Apostle. And yet we don't ever see anything about Felix converting to Christianity because had he done so, he would have released Paul from, from his house arrest. He put off any decision to follow the Lord. Procrastination is the absolute thief of souls. There's no question about it. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 8 says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Well, there was a council in the pits of hell. Satan was provided, presiding over this particular council. And all of these top demons were gathered around Satan as he began to discuss how best to condemn the lives of mankind. What can we do to steal the souls of people? Satan presided over this fiendish, hellish council. One demon stood up and said, I know how to condemn the lives of mankind. Let us tell them there is no God. Satan replied, a fine suggestion. We'll tell them that there is no God and some of them will believe it. But the fool has said in his heart there is no God and not all men are fools. We need yet another suggestion. At which point another demon stood up. He said, I know what we'll do. Let us tell them that the Bible is not inspired. It's not the word of God. We'll tell them in their academic professorial chairs from their pulpits and from the witnesses up and down the streets that the Bible is not true. It's not the infallible inerrant word of God. It is not inspired. But Satan continued and said, but the Bible still remains the bestseller of all books on the earth. And when we mention it, people buy it. So we need another suggestion, he said. Another top demon stood up and said, I know what we shall do. Let us tell them that Jesus is not the Son of God. He did not rise from the dead. He is mortal man like any other man. Satan says, that too is a good suggestion. We'll tell them. Jesus is not the Son of God. And there will be many who will believe us. But the more we talk about Jesus, the more we mention him, the more he draws men to himself. Then another demon stood up. And with a twinkle in his eye, more like fire in his brimstone, he said, I know. Let us admit it all. Let us admit that there is a God creator in the universe. Let us admit that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Let us admit that Jesus is all that he said he was. Then, let us whisper in their hearts 
but do nothing about it. Some other day, some other time, at a more convenient season, tomorrow. Because procrastination is absolutely the robber of souls. What happened to Felix? When I find it convenient, I will send for you. When is the convenient time? How many times over the years have I heard people tell me, you know, I, I was almost persuaded. I almost came down. How many revivals have you been in as I have been in and you see people white knuckled on the pews, you know, just clenching those pews so hard their knuckles turn white so that they don't have to respond. They know the Lord is calling them. They know the Holy Spirit has been moving in their lives. They are ready. They just aren't going to respond. What about you today? Are you such a gambler that you're willing to say that God will give you another day? Are you willing to say that Jesus will not return today? Are you willing to bet your eternity on that? Or is Satan whispering in your ear, do nothing about it. Some other day, some other time, at a more convenient season, Tomorrow, what's the rush? What's the hurry? Some of you here are listening to this message and you have really been basically toying with the idea of trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And whatever reason you give, and I bet I've heard them all, whatever reason you give, that reason is not effective. And that reasoning in your own heart may send you to an eternal separation from God. Today, the Bible says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Today, now is the time. Today is the day to receive salvation. If you've never trusted Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the time. Today is the time. Are you ready? We asked that at the first of the message. Are you ready? Are you ready? Felix could have joined the ranks of the faithful that day. Felix could be one of those guys that we meet in God's heaven had he just not procrastinated. Put it off one more moment. Would you be so bold as to put it off again? God is calling you. He's moving in your heart. I can feel the Holy Spirit moving today. And he is moving now. Would you hear him? Would you say yes to him in whatever he's calling you to do? Would you stand with me for prayer? Our most gracious Father, we praise you for who you are and we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord God, thank you. Father, we just ask that you will come into this congregation today, into those who are listening to this message Father, that you will stir them to the extent that they are no longer willing to put off this decision in Christ. What about today, Lord God, in our hearts? May we be faithful to you. May we not put it off one more moment. May we not be almost persuaded, but may we be persuaded and act on that persuasion. Father, thank you for the decisions that are being made even now. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray these things.
Amen.